That's the sound of the coffee pouring. Welcome to the Doctor's Brew. I'm your host, Dr. Abdelaziz Al Khayyab, and having coffee with us today is Dr. Lama Al Sharif. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> Uh, as you may notice, this is not the typical setting. Uh, for the very first time on the podcast, what we're doing is a virtual uh, interview. It's something we wanted to break into to be able to hear from doctors from all across the Middle East. So we're very happy that we're breaking into this new medium. Um, this, we won't be doing this for every single episode, but uh, at least um, we have the option to do it so we can hear uh, from people as interesting as Dr. Lama. So uh, let's dive into our introduction here. Something that many people do not realize about medicine is that it is as equally objective as it is subjective, specifically as it relates to culture. We know that one of the limitations of modern medicine is that most of the evidence we work with is based on unusually, uh, un unusually, sorry, unusually white ma uh, males or men, which is why there are a lot of pushes to contextualize healthcare to specific cultures and communities. We were actually talking about this, me and some of my colleagues, the other day. So, for example, uh, there's been some textbooks recently that, that have been developed to help with examining uh, darker skin. So they exclusively talk about examinations on darker skin to pick up on signs like jaundice, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which we traditionally, in a lot of textbooks, you might see on, on uh, lighter skin. Uh, so today I'm really excited to expand my personal horizons as a physician in the area of women's health. So since I studied in the UK, I've gained the mostly, I'd say, Western perspective on women's health because that's where my practice has been up until now. Of course, I've had some time here in the Obzangaini Hospital in Kuwait, so that was also eye-opening for myself. Uh, but uh, today, I'm going to expand my horizons even more uh, by chatting with uh, Dictora Lema, who it, we're going to focus on talking about women's health here in the Middle East. She's recently completed her OBGYN training uh, in the Saudi board, so she is now a practicing spe senior specialist. And before starting our podcast today, we were chatting about how she's had a lot of passion for social media and on educating the public, which is something that we admire on the podcast, and that's, some, that's why we reached out to her, because um, we want to help uh, spread her messages and her uh, experience any way we can. Um, so, before we dive into the podcast, as you guys always know, we need to talk about our coffee. Uh, Dictor, are you drinking coffee with us, with us today or just me? It's a straight black coffee. <laughs> that, uh, see, I'm very happy you're drinking coffee because um, I've realized that not everybody drinks coffee, which I'm shocked about. So, at least I'm not... But most doctors... Doctors should be coffee drinkers. I'm against any doctor who doesn't drink coffee, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's not natural. That's how you find uh, the best doctors. Make sure that they're drinking coffee. <laughs> if they're not drinking yes, coffee, exactly. don't trust them. <laughs> uh, you I, have to be alert and, and focused. And I, I, I can't do it without my coffee, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Even when it's midnight. Me too. <laughs> uh, I'm drinking uh, Arabica today. Um, and I, you guys oh. have Arabica? Misadia? We do, we do actually. Yeah. Is it as popular as as in Kuwait? Like in Kuwait, it'll be every no. few months. Really? No, it's not actually. Yeah. How full is it when you go? Would you say? Um, I don't usually have Arabica to be honest, but uh, I don't hear about it much here. See, this is a big. This is they're yeah. pointing out some cultural differences here in Kuwait. <laughs> will not find a spot. It's huge. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of my, it's my weekend go-to coffee, so I love Arabica. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's got me caffeinated for this episode. So. Yeah, that's um, the most important. Very. 
Now, uh, a la- a last bit is some shout-outs. As uh, you've heard us talk about before, Dream Med Scrubs. Guys, you see me wearing them on the wards. Uh, people have asked me about them. Please use the Doctors Brew discount code. Uh, we'll show it here on the screen. We've spoken about this so many times. We post them in our, in our stories. Go out and buy some Dream Med Scrubs. They're based in the UAE. Uh, we want to support local here, you know? So go out. Get some Dream Med scrubs like I uh, like I have. And uh, next is Studio Stretch. Um, the other day I got a stretch from them um, out in Schwech. And then afterwards I went to the gym. I did my squats and they were uh, deeper than ever. So guys, really I, I can't recommend it enough. And Dictora, if you're ever in Kuwait, go to Studio Stretch. I really recommend it. For sure. <laughs> you got me excited. <laughs> there, there we go. Um, okay. Now let's talk. Uh, let's let's dive in. Um, I want to hear from you, your your career, your experiences. Tell us a little bit about yourself, please, Dictora. Okay, my name is Lama Al Sharif. I'm 32 years old. I'm a mother slash doctor. Uh, I graduated medical school in 2015. Mm-hmm. I did, and then I joined um, the Saudi Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology in 2015, and I graduated 2021 from the Saudi Board. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, I'm working in a governmental hospital. Uh, and uh, on my the side job that I do is I do social media education and awareness, and it's uh, actually my passion. Um, you know, as we were talking about before getting on to, uh, into the podcast, I think social media, like awareness and spreading education is extremely important, especially with regards to women's health, because as you know, I, th- I think it's fair to say in the Middle East, the amount of patient education about women's health is lacking, and I think it does need to uh, expand a little bit. I do agree. Uh, as uh, after I joined social media, like when I joined social media, there weren't and still there there are not a lot of uh, OBGYN doctors out there, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, most uh, doctors, even when they discuss uh, OBGYN topics, they try to uh, move away from sensitive uh, subjects. And um, for me, I focus on sensitive subjects because I found out that a lot of middle, or let's say most Middle Eastern women, uh, they're, it's a culture, it's related to our culture actually, that we're shy and we don't usually feel comfortable talking about our um, health, period-related health, sexual health, uh, pregnancy and postpartum. And uh, I found out that a lot of women lacking very basic information regarding their body, their feminicity, their uh, period health, pregnancy, contraception, postpartum, they lack the basic information. Uh, That's why I'm very happy to focus uh, on women's health and talk more about these sensitive um, topics as it's really important for all women to have more information about their own body and how to deal with it and how to deal with uh, a lot of problems that most women have. Do you, uh, do you have an example of like a story or of someone who really stood out in your mind as, wow, they, their lack of understanding about their own body has hindered their, their health, you know? So I have uh, quite a few uh, stories. <laughs> Uh, let me think about really interesting one. Uh, 
So there's a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. It's about a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a newly married couple. Right. And they came to the clinic because they tried for a year to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And they could not get pregnant. And after taking focused history from uh, those couple, we ended up figuring out that they don't know how to... Um, uh, they don't know the basic information about intercourse mm. and um, what to do exactly to achieve pregnancy. Really? So they've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> and their way of doing it will never, re, uh, uh, will never lead to a pregnancy. So that was the, bit, the, 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 the problem there. It wasn't any um, fertility issue related to the women or fertility issue related to the man. It was the way. You're shocking there me right now. There was an issue in the way. I never yeah, would have imagined really that this story. would be. <laughs> this wouldn't have come up in my Oski. Let me put it that way. You know? Never. <laughs> See, let me tell you, it's not a common problem, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of young couples, they have... Um, they don't, they don't have basic information regarding their sexual health, to be honest. Okay. And we need to implicate sexual health health everywhere. And we need to speak about it more. Uh, uh, because sexual health will lead to a um, safe pregnancy, safe delivery. It will, it, it all really, it's all related to each other. Of course. Now, for what do you advise for, you know, how, like, what do you think is your best way to approach these sensitive topics with like, especially as it relates to sexual health and it's kind of taboo nature uh, in the Middle East. What's been your approach that you think has been successful? My approach is just to be straight Mm -hmm. to the topic. Mm -hmm. Just talk about it clearly. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's uh, I've I've seen or I've noticed that it's the best way just to be very, very clear about it. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to be clear about it and talk about it in public because uh, we are a very conservative community and we're not used to used to this. Uh, I've, I've been getting a lot of negative or backlash and uh, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of, mostly men are not comfortable with me talking about it in public, but a lot of women are really happy that I'm talking about it because they're the one who is struggling. Well, I'll tell you that this is you have one male supporter here. I think it's very important well. to keep talking about it, honestly, um, because I've been in the situation where I've been embarrassed to speak with my patients, you know, and uh, I've struggled. I the amount of times where I was like, um, uh, so is it your your time? Is it? Mm, and then the patient. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? Exactly. Like, you, do, do I need to go to the bathroom? No, I'm like, no. and then I go out and I'm like, call the assistant. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, see? Yeah, no. It, if it, we spoke it, more about it, you would feel more comfortable. Absolutely. Um, I definitely agree. Now, how do you, you said that you had, there's, there's pushback. How do you deal with the pushback? Yeah. I actually, at the beginning, I used to like reply to these negative messages. Like I used to like told them, I I used to say like, I have to talk about it. A lot of women are struggling and suffering and we need awareness and education. I just tried to explain myself Mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't see any benefit of doing that because some people will just not understand that there's a ben- there's a huge benefit of what I'm doing. Yes. Uh, so I ended up just ignoring these comments mm-hmm. and just not not focusing on this negative.
positive energy and just focusing on going and giving and just explaining more and telling more. And this is the best for me. This is the best approach, to be honest. Uh, and I, re I really do applaud you. It's difficult to sometimes wait out the negative comments. Even for this yeah. podcast, we've had people uh, send in very few, few instances of kind of like negativity. Um, but, you know, you just need to put it aside. <laughs> exactly. And you just need to ignore it. Yeah. So has women's health or in OBGYN, has that always been your passion or were you going into medicine thinking, oh, maybe I want to do general surgery and then somehow it changed into OBGYN? So I knew that I wanted to be a doctor since I was like a little girl. I remember like I was seven or eight. I just, since I was a little girl, I used to tell my mom, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. And I, I do even remember I had this, you know, the toy uh, doctor kit with the stethoscope and all of this and that. I used to play with it. And then after I, I went into medical school, when we first started studying OBGYN, um, I remember that our professor, he was really interesting. He was really good at explaining uh, the subjects. And uh, he made me fall in love with OBGYN. For me, it was logical. It was fun. It was easy. And then after going to internship and starting dealing with real patients, I just knew that this is the only specialty that I want to specialize in. Mm -hmm. I felt like I'm comfortable. It is my comfort zone. And... Um, I'm comfortable and it is my comfort zone and I'm just at my happiest dealing with women mm. and women issues and pregnancy. It's just magical to be dealing with pregnancy and postpartum. And, you know, it's the only speciality where you can tell a patient after, while you're discharging her, congratulations. You can never tell a patient after have, doing an appendectomy or like cholecystectomy, congratulations. <laughs> you can just only tell a mother congratulations congratulations for having a baby. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a mostly happy, happy speciality. That's why I knew. And it's the only speciality I wanted to get in. Uh, I only had like another specialty in my mind and I said as a plan B if I couldn't get get into OBGYN I would go to med uh, family medicine and then sub specialize in women's health at the end that was my plan B uh, you know I relate to you because the only time I ever I wanted I want to be a psychiatrist that's my current trajectory oh, uh, yeah but the only time I ever doubted psychiatry was when I assisted in a C-section and then I held the, like the baby came out and I was like I was mind blown that like mind blown there was one person now there's two persons exactly it's honestly magical it's eye-opening it's so magical that I feel like as a human being I feel like everyone should witness a birth you know yeah. With even, I don't know, like what's the the, the stigma is like, um, um, kind of in the Middle East. But my impression has been that men shouldn't be there during the delivery. That's the guy, the the general feeling I get. And I think mm. that no, I think you will only, you really, especially like for if if it's your your wife's, you know, baby birth. It makes you appreciate life, and it just makes you in awe of what life is makes you appreciate women more it does it does yeah and what 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 a pregnant woman goes through 
Uh, even for us as a physicians, when we deliver a baby, we always say happy birthday. We sing happy birthday and all really? we sing happy birthday and the labor room. Yes. <laughs> like this is what we do. Like me and my, my colleagues, they're like happy birthday. And we all get emotional. The mother, the father, us doctors, the midwives. It's a happy place to be in. It's a, it's most of the time. It's a happy place. Even the complications we have, we don't have much. Mm. It's mostly happiness. And then just, uh, for the small part, we get complications, like, but mostly it's a happy field. And it's a really fun field. And uh, for you, you should uh, consider OBGYN. <laughs> I have certain other stories I cannot share on the podcast as to why I can't go to OBGYN. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk about it later then. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I really do applaud you because also you said something about OBGYN that I thoroughly disagree with you. Uh, you said you found it easy. I, I recently sat the step two exam and I was studying. My weakest subjects were pediatrics, although I, that one I did okay in. Like I actually did above average in that one, but then OBGYN, always my weakest. So when you say that it was easy, oh no, no, oh no, no. For me, it was the easiest subject. It's like really logic. It, it is, it is. I don't know why. See, I feel that way towards the psychiatry questions yeah. on the U world. Because you're interested. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. When you're interested in something, you find it easy. Yeah. Literally. That's why I find OBGYN is easy. It was the only easy subject for me because I was so interested in it. Now, in, uh, for OBGYN, you did, another thing that is interesting about you is that you did it with idea, okay? And the reason why mm -hmm. I want to bring this up is because of, again, when I, when I introduce, like, context, you know? Uh, I feel like there's some sort of advantage in the sense that you're working with the culture and you understand the culture. Mm -hmm. You know, versus going abroad. Not to this is not to down to talk down to anyone who specializes abroad. I just mean that there's definitely an advantage there at specializing in the the area where you're going to practice. Would you say so? I do agree. I strongly agree. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the option to go abroad, but I did not. Uh, it, it's not because I don't want to go abroad. No, I just felt more comfortable staying in my country and close to my family. It's, it's not related to which, which, which place is better than the other place. Yeah, no. But um, uh, I do see an advantage. And if you're like, if you're going to work in, in, in the same, in this country, like, uh, let's say if I'm working here, it's better if I do Saudi board, to be honest, mm -hmm. because um, you eventually will deal with Saudi, mostly Saudi patients. Yes. And if you're trained with Saudi patients, it's totally different when you're trained with like uh, another, like, um, let's say, like Americans or, or Canadians or whatever. It's totally different. Yeah. The culture, the, the reaction, how to approach them, how to deal with them. You know, a basic thing in, in, in being a physician is taking history. Yeah. It's like the first thing you do. Mm. Taking history, when you're used to taking history with these patients, you're practicing with Saudi patients and mostly Arab patients. Mm -hmm. It's different when you're used to take history in English, let's say. Uh, so you're yeah. taking history in English and then you, you end up as a specialist taking history from Saudi patients. Mm. It's totally, you will struggle at the end, in the beginning. You will struggle because you're not used to them. You're, used, you're not used to their language, you know, uh, different in Saudi Arabia. Like we have like, uh, it's not a different language. What do they call it? Different accent. It's not an accent. Lehja. Um, um, uh, dialect. <laughs> dialect. Dialect. Okay. It's totally different. Yeah. And you will learn. <laughs> yeah. 
من الجنوب from جنوب they're different and from شمال they're different they're just different لهجات especially and Saudi. can I just say when I drove through yeah. Saudi yeah. <laughs> I remember at the border yeah. there was times that they looked at me and I was just like they they said something and I just looked at them like Huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just gonna respond. I, I was gonna respond in Spanish, even like ¿Qué dices? <laughs> like it was that. Yeah, but we're, yeah, with time you'll get used to it. That's yeah. why, like for us, we just learned. We we understood eventually. We we understood everyone's different uh, like, Let's say you know, just uh, like a little like a basic example of the the impact of cultural difference. Um, when I was in Manchester, I studied in Manchester. So my, my mom is uh, Cuban-American. That's why I have the American accent. I went to an American school. So when I would do histories with patients, what I realized was the more American my accent, the more taken about, they, they're kind of surprised, you know? And so when they were simulated patients, I real, like actors, I realized that if I use my American accent, they kind of like, يعني, how can I put it? Like they get, they get out of character for the briefest second, you know, because they get like kind of shocked. So I would kind of use that to my advantage to let them kind of ease into the, the history. So what I would do was I'd, I'd often refer to, uh, if, for example, it's a female patient, I'd call uh, ma'am, you know, and okay. not used in the UK. Nobody says ma'am, you know, <laughs> like in a very American way. Once I had a kid in pediatrics, he... He literally pointed at me, and like I told him, so you have tummy pain, where's the pain? And he just goes, are you American? Mommy, it's oh American boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, please answer the question. <laughs> but Okay, this is, not, Tom, this is not related. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so no, I, I definitely agree, like uh, cultural differences have a huge impact. And I told you before how the Saudi board is becoming very popular in Kuwait, you know? Uh, for similar reasons, people want to stay close to home. Um, you know, they they like they want to stay in the Arab culture when they specialize. How was your experience in the board itself? Okay, so I had a let's say I think most boards are exhausting and difficult and whatnot. Yeah. It's 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 all really and it's all the same. It's not different, but. Um, for me, it was a really good experience. Uh, of course, like as a first year resident, that was really difficult uh, for me because I've never used to this hectic workload, especially as OBGYN. Yeah. OBGYN is one of the most stressful fields you ever get. You're just, during your uncle, you're just running. Yeah. You don't sit, you cannot, something, and most of the times you cannot use the bathroom, you cannot eat, you cannot drink, you're just running around. This one is delivering, this one is having having bleeding, this one is doing this and that. Mm. So it's really exhausting. Yeah. And um, um, uh, in my in my training uh, period in Saudi board, uh, I had the support of most of the doctors I was working with. Mm. Um, at the beginning, it was hard, but with time, it's, it became easier. For me, I'm really happy that I chose Saudi board. Uh, and I do believe uh, that it's, it's the board that shaped me to, to, 
what I am today. Uh, I do believe that if I took the board in anyone else, I would not be Dr. Lemma, the one you see today. Uh, I do believe it was hard and difficult, but I, I believe that I made the right choice. Uh, the exams were, were um, the way we had a lot of education uh, in, our, in my hospital. Uh, we used to do like OSCE simulations. Uh, our hospitals are packed with patients. And I believe that this is the best way to learn, Absolutely. not reading something, not reading a book uh, or articles. The best way to learn is seeing the most patients mm -hmm. during the day or during your call. The most patients you see, the better you get because you're listening, you're, you're using your hand, you're using your senses, and this will build a great or an amazing or the best clinical mm -hmm. sense you would have. And a good doctor have a good clinical sense. Uh, so, yeah, I had a good experience, to be honest, in Saudi board, and I do recommend it for, for everyone. But you have to choose the hospital that suits you. Right. It's not about the board. The board is great, but choose the hospital that you feel comfortable uh, uh, in, 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 in working in, because hospitals are different from each other. So would you recommend for, for someone who's considering the Saudi board, maybe it's worth taking a look at the hospitals visiting Saudi and... Yes. You know, you would, uh, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would recommend taking uh, like an internship mm. or like a one month uh, a training, even just as an observer, just see uh, the, how, how is there teamwork yeah. between the doctors? Are they supportive? Mm. Support is really important as a resident, emotional support and, and um, giving you a break. So you, you don't want to end up in, in like a burned out position. That's, that's the least thing you want to go through to be burned out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even outside the hospital right now, the the at least here in Kuwait, the talk is all about Saudi. The quality of life in Saudi has been increasing, increasing. It's it, people have been saying that so much has been changing in Saudi, and the the it's, it's it's people are so attracted towards going. So I think that's also funneling. You might see a few more Kuwaitis in your uh, board. Uh, <laughs> well, that would be great. <laughs> you you all are welcome in our country, and we would be glad if you guys could join our Saudi program. That would be amazing. I don't think like Kuwait is different than Saudi Arabia. I think we were very similar culture-wise, oh. and even living situations. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I like when we went through Saudi. I was telling you for the the World Cup. Um, I did. I felt like. I felt like I was in a part of Kuwait I've never seen before. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think we're the same. Yeah, which is uh, almost. It's a which is a nice thing for a lot of people because I'm. You've probably you. I'm sure you said that you experienced this when you're debating where do I specialize? Do I go out? Do I stay here? Do I, you know? Some sometimes you want to stay close to home, and uh, th that's the nice thing with what's appealing to a lot of people for the Saudi board. Uh, is staying uh, close to home. So I'm glad to hear that it's been such a positive experience. And for anyone uh, uh, listening, we've had a few questions about the Saudi board and people asking about Saudi board. So here we have a, a doctor talking about the Saudi board and she cannot recommend it more. So uh, if, if that's something on your mind, please take Dr. Lemma's advice and uh, go seek an observership. Uh, and she, yeah, it seems like it's a positive experience. <laughs> now, uh, just zooming out a little bit, about women's health in the Middle East as a whole, okay? What would you say is the difference between women's health in the Middle East versus, let's say, the West, which most textbooks are based off of and stuff? Do you think there is even a, a difference? 
So, yeah, I do believe there is a difference, but not much of a difference. Like, um, sometimes we struggle in, in middle, in, like in our country or in Middle Eastern mm-hmm. um, area. Uh, women are, uh, they still find OBGYN subjects or women's health or whatnot is a taboo. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes we struggle with women regarding contraception. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say if I'm, let's say if I have a a high risk uh, pregnancy and let's say she have a cardiac or like any high risk uh, issue. And then I talk to her about contraception. Someone, some woman and their their husbands would say it's haram Mm. that we use contraception. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although it's not haram. And if it was haram, it would not be available in our country. I always tell them that. But uh, some uh, couples do believe that contraception should not be used, and uh, we should let um, we should let um, we should get pregnant uh, if, if 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 God uh, uh, decided for us to get pregnant, we can get pregnant uh, as much as we want. Even though sometimes, mo- most of the times, when we struggle with those couple pregnancy will cause a huge, uh, huge complication to the mother and to the fetus. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the fetus, the mother might die from a certain complication if she got pregnant. And we still struggle with uh, contraception regarding, um, uh, really, if they think it's a religious issue related to religion yeah. when it's not. Uh, other than that, um, um, uh, some patients have... Uh, a lot of uh, sexual or uh, any sexually related issues, and they would not tell us even as physicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sometimes struggle to uh, let them talk about these uh, problems, mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't feel comfortable talking uh, with their husbands around about these issues. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly they're shy, it's still taboo, mm-hmm. they're not comfortable talking about it. But other than that, than that, I don't see that much of a difference regarding management of those patients. What about the difference in terms of doctors? So do you think that maybe in the Middle East, the approach of doctors, male, mostly I'd say male doctors, do you think it differs to kind of how, we, how men, like uh, women's health is practiced more in the, uh, in the West? Yeah. So uh, Middle Eastern women... Mm-hmm. Mostly, they're not comfortable with having a male OBGYN. Yes. And for me, as a female, I do understand. Mm. Uh, as a Middle Eastern female, I do understand that um, it's 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 our religion. We're not uh, we're not comfortable talking to men about our feminine issues, and uh, a lot of male OBGYN struggle with patients and I've seen it a lot in my hospital like there's a patient who comes in labor and then she was like I don't I don't want any male physician and we can sometimes we tell her the only uh, OBGYN on call is is male Mm -hmm. sometimes they leave the hospital while they're in labor to the point that I I would never allow a male to examine me and sometimes their husband come before the patient who's on call who's going to see my wife is it male or female Mm -hmm. If they're male, no, only females. So a lot of male physicians struggle, to be honest. Yeah. And um, um, a lot of, even in my own call, sometimes like there's a male on call and they're like, uh, uh, if he's a male, no, no. Mm. And uh, a lot of residents 
they cannot examine patients and they cannot get trained and learn because most patients were refused. Uh, so I think that uh, male OBGYN should always take permission mm -hmm. from the patient mm -hmm. and the husband if the husband is around mm -hmm. and, uh, and not to do anything behind uh, the husband's back or if the husband refused uh, for uh, a male doctor to examine his wife just for your own safety mm -hmm. do not <laughs> we had some like really um, uh, bad stories and uh, uh, <laughs> stories regarding doctors male doctors who dealt with pregnant patients and then bad things happened to them so, so it's a matter <laughs> of your, the safety of the physician sometimes yes yeah. of course yes it's always the safety of the physician yeah uh, I mean, like I'll share an uh, experience I had recently. Uh, uh, during my on-call, I had a patient who had a profuse uh, PV bleed. Um, and I remember in that moment feeling kind of confused because I took the history. I did an abdominal examination with a chaperone. But I remember I, I even spoke to fellow trainees or first-year doctors. I called them. I was like, guys how should I go about examination? Because this is the first time that in the Middle East I've been confronted with, I might need to do a PV exam or a PR exam. And they said, speak to the seniors, hold on, speak to the seniors unless you know you think that they're in imminent, uh, like they were compromised, the blood pressure was fine, the patient was safe enough for me to call uh, my seniors. But So what this situation highlights to me is that I think the education is not only with our patients, but it's also on, for male physicians, physicians like myself, you know? What can we do to protect ourselves and also make sure that the patient is comfortable, you know? Um, do you have any advice for young doctors like myself who are in that position? Yeah, of course. Before you enter the room, knock. Yeah. This is Dr. Abdelaziz. Yeah. Uh, may I come? Yeah. But it, may I examine you? Is it okay? Is it kida kida kida? It's, it's we we usually do this, yeah. but just focus like take more permissions uh, if you're dealing with 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 Arab or Middle Eastern women. Most women, some women are just fine and they're open. They're open and they're okay about it and everything is fine. Yeah. But you might face uh, women that their husbands are too jealous or they just have their. Uh, cultural um, uh, cons conservations or what do they call it like they're con conservative yep. uh, they, they don't allow yep. so for your own safety always focus on your own safety before doing anything always take permission make sure the husband the hus if the husband is around make sure he knows mm -hmm. that you are going to examine his wife and he is he if he wants to be around he can be around if I could ask you now a more difficult question about this so Let's say you're in a position where the patient, it's uh, an urgent, it's urgent, right? Uh, for, uh, like, and you're, like, I'm thinking to myself, ima I'm imagining myself on call, it's 2 a.m., and I'm the only physician next to this patient, and I need to do a PR or a PV examination. And it's, a, you know, it's, they're critical, the blood pressure's dropping, there's sign of bleeding. Besides having a chaperone, is there any things you can suggest to, to make sure that we're protected, both legally and safety of you know patient retaliation god forbid <laughs> <laughs> well uh first of all you would always like we usually do take permission in examining a patient mm -hmm. if you, if the patient agreed 
you're safe. Okay. If the patient disagreed, she needs to know. She needs to know that by you disagreeing for me, examining, examining you, you might have severe complications regarding your baby, yourself. Mm -hmm. You might bleed to death. You might go into ICU. Or do you agree to that? And uh, we usually have like if the patient refused a refusal form. If the patient refused for you to examine her, let her sign that refusal form. Mm -hmm. So if any complications happens to her, you're safe. Right. You try to do your best, but she refused. Right. So you're safe. But at least she knows and she refused. Yep. And you have it documented. As you know, documentation is really important. <laughs> Always document. If I could, Please. The amount of times I've heard the term medical legal, medical legal, medical legal. I don't know if that's a big term in Saudi, but in Kuwait, you just hear it thrown around the words, medical legal document, MR8, now. <laughs> of course. Yeah. You know, I, had, I didn't mention that, but I had a lot of investigations happening uh, while I was a resident. And one of them was like, I had a patient with uh, PV bleeding and she was aborting and whatnot. And then I was a resident. So I asked my senior, I was like, I can see the, the sac, the pregnancy gestational sac, it's at the cervix and that's what's causing pain. He said, okay, remove that sac. I was like, okay, it will be removed. I went to the patient. I was told her, I just need to do an examination. The pregnancy is, all, is already aborting. I just need to help you by pulling it out from the cervix because this is causing you pain. She was like, okay, okay, do whatever, doctor, do whatever. And then I removed that sac. So um, at the end of this scenario, everything was fine. Patient was okay. A couple of months later, I received a complaint. So the husband was the one who filed that complaint. He wrote, Dr. Lemma, she inserted a scissors inside my, my wife's uterus and she pulled the, the baby out from her uterus. So he, he thought that uh, I aborted her. She was not aborting, but I aborted her. Yeah. And then when I went to through them, there was like people, doctors from Riyadh, they came and there was a huge investigation and uh, about this. And then the doctor, she was a consultant. She was like, did you do this to the patient? Did you do that? I was like, yes. She said, did you insert an IV cannula to that patient? I was like, yes, I did. She was, she was like, why it's not documented? I said, I wrote, I inserted, I, I, was, I wrote in my documents, yeah. I inserted IV yeah. cannula. She was like, what's the size? I was like, you did not write the size of the cannula in your notes. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. She was like, it was so, it was horrible. I was post-call and I was like, like my uh, psychological, uh, my mental health was like the, the lowest point at that time. Because you just need to write everything, yeah. even the cannula size. Because yeah. when the patient complains, you need to protect yourself all the time. All the time. That, you know, my friends make fun of me in surgery right now because you know surgical notes. Patient is breathing. Patient is happy. Yeah. Uh, CSD, like continue. Straight to the point. Yeah. But I... It's not like medicine. No, it's not like medicine. But I write some <laughs> notes. I take some time. Better. On, and um, I'm just waiting until a surgeon yells at me for it. But that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Even if they yell at you, always do it. Train yourself to do it. Yeah. It will protect you in the long run. If something, God forbids, happens, if the patient complains, something complication happens, mm -hmm. this will protect you. Yeah. Literally, it will. This is the only thing. Absolutely. We have a saying. I, I, maybe you, you did you did heard it before. If it's not documented, 
it was it was not done. Oh, right. If you did not write write that you did it, it wasn't done. Even if you did it, it was it's just not done, yeah. unless you document that you do it. It's uh, it you know, but actually, funny enough, the I I read a study once that said the number one cause of burnout in uh, medicine is because of bureaucracy and documenting and filing and because what they saw that was that the majority of a doctor's time is actually spent writing rather than treating yeah so it's kind of, it's it's ironic i agree you know the the one thing that we um, need to protect I, ourselves is hurting us <laughs> yeah i do believe that uh whatever you do uh, you will always get burned out as a physician really i do believe this is this is i think one is this is one of the downsides of the job mm. you will learn to get used to it with time uh, you will get burned out at the beginning of your residency. And what I usually say to, to like new residents now or my colleagues that I'm working with, that always care about your mental health. Get help early. If you're tired, take a break. You need a break. As a medical student, even as an intern or as a resident, you're not supposed to spend the whole weekend studying. Yeah. You can take time for yourself. You can travel. You can enjoy your time. This this is good for you. This is better than than spending the whole weekend studying, going back to the house, doing this and that. At the end, you will reach a point where you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just so tired to the point I can't focus with my patients. I cannot learn anything. Uh, you will learn a lot in the hospital. Uh, you might not learn a lot, a lot from reading. Because when you read, you try to memorize. You end up forgetting. Yeah. When you see a case and you go back home or, or just after you see the patient, just take a just quick reading about that case, mm -hmm. that's what's going to stick. Yeah. So my, my message is take a break. You deserve it. You need it. And you, you like this will serve you in the future. It will help you and serve you. Don't do like me. For me, I was just so focused on my residency. In the first two years, I was so burned out. Mm -hmm. I learned lately, this late in my residency, to... You take a break and have fun. I, I totally agree. You know, when I was studying for the step two exam, the USMLE, one thing that some like um, my mom would sometimes ask me, oh, how's it going, blah, 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 blah. And I'd tell her, oh, I'm not scoring this score or whatever. And she's like, oh, have you considered delaying the exam? And one thing that I oh. wanted to tell her, uh, what, what I did tell her, uh, but I don't think she could, maybe she could relate, I'm not sure. Uh, I said, there's a point that I've gone into with my studying where I am really in be I'm like I'm burnt out or I'm about to be completely burnt out. And so it's either I do this now and accept whatever and leave, you know, it's fine or I'm I'm not doing this or I'm doing it really later. <laughs> and that's why I did my exam very promptly. I was like, right? I'm doing this exam now. I'm not going to delay it because I cannot take this anymore. The day after my exam, people ask me, "How how do you feel?" whatever. I said, I think I'm a different person. And I think that's going to happen to me the day after finishing residency. <laughs> I usually say you start living after residency. Oh, no. I did. <laughs> I started living after residency. You know, while I was a resident, I, had, uh, I did not know anything else than working, studying, working, studying. I didn't know what I, I loved doing or what I enjoy doing. I was so busy working, studying, just trying to pass those exams. Um, there's a story that I don't usually talk about. Um, it's really inspiring. And I would like to talk about it if there's time. 
please. It's uh, it's just gonna take a minute. Oh, so, thing something that uh, a lot of people don't know about me. So, in my first year of residency, I was my mental health was so like it's at my at its lowest lowest point, to the point that I thought of leaving leaving OBGYN. I was so stressful. I had an anxiety. I was so depressed. I was sleep deprived to the point to what. I didn't pass my first year exam. So that's why the board took me six years and it was, it's supposed to be five years. Right. So, uh, and then when I, when I failed the first year, I was like, oh, I'm just not going to, this is too much. This is too much for me. Like, I just can't live like this. I'm so tired. I'm not sleeping. The uncle, the stress, yeah. uh, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I was like, to be honest, this is the only specialty that I love. Yeah. I need to give it one more chance. So the next year, I was st I'm still R1 because I repeated that year. Mm -hmm. I was studying like crazy. Like crazy. I was studying during my own calls, post -call, whatever. I'm just studying. Mm -hmm. And then when I entered the exam, I got the highest mark uh, bet uh, uh, between like um, with all the residents around me, even my senior residents, I got the top. Wow. So that was like super inspiring to me. Like I failed, but that failure of my first year, it made me better in so many ways. It made me know more information. I got the highest mark. So, and I failed the, the, the year before. For me, that was the, 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 you know what they usually say, you know, you always hear it on Instagram videos. Failures is the thing that will yeah, yeah. teach you. And I, I learned that. It is true. And then the year after it, I got the highest mark in the whole Western oh, really? uh, region in Saudi Arabia. I got the top. We were 600 OBGYN residents, 600 the number. I was the top. Mashallah. And imagine, and I failed the year, this two years before. Mm. So I just, from, from that failure, I started getting the highest mark. Even after my part two exam, which is the final exam that you you, when you pass, you you become a specialist. I got a very really high mark in my written and in my oral exam. Wow. So I'm, why I'm telling this uh, story is just I want this story to be an inspiring story for anyone who is having a hard time during residency, for anyone who failed an exam. This is not the end of the world. It's just an exam. Work harder. Maybe you don't know the right way to study. Maybe this way of studying doesn't suit you well. For me, in my first year, I was just reading. In my second year, I was doing an MCQ-based studying. I studied through multiple choice yeah. questions. And I figured out this is my way of studying. This will make me, this is a better way for me. Mm -hmm. So I just want this story to be inspiring for everyone that you can reach to the point that you want to reach if you believe in yourself. And keep believing in yourself. Even if you fail once, twice, third, just try. You'll become better at the end. Thank you so much for sharing. So <laughs> In medicine, we have this thing of every exam is the end of the world. Every exam feels yeah. like if this doesn't yeah. work out, I'm done. Bye-bye. I'm out. Yeah. Every time. Exactly. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a bad feeling. Nobody, I've had so many times when I was studying that I was like, especially for the USMLE, I was like, right, this is not for me. Apparently, I'm not good enough. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm serious. I spoke to people recently, a, a month or so ago, and I have a podcast called The Doctor's Brew, right? I was talking to people about leaving medicine. That's how, in, you know, intense it got for me. And so it's I, whenever I hear stories like yours,
that that one failure, that one exam doesn't mean anything, it gives me hope and it makes me more comfortable in this career because it's intense, you know? People think medicine is easy. It's, it's never easy. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world and it's one of the most complicated. So what you fail an exam in medicine? It's medicine. It's not like you're, fa you're failing an exam, an easy exam. It's a really difficult exam. Plus, you're working and studying at the same All time. The time. It's not like you're only in school. Mm. You're having on-calls. You're not sleeping. You're working. You're trying to impress. You're doing research. You're doing presentations, this and and, and multiple exams. Mm. So it's okay to fail. Mm -hmm. Just keep going. If you really love this job, this job just keep going. Mm. And you will reach whatever you want to reach. And, you know, on, on the line of, like, being very busy, uh, you know, your, your, your specialty is ex notorious for your hours are not yours. Your hours are for, the, you know, whoever's giving birth. <laughs> the baby's not coming out based exactly. on your own call, right? Um, you're also a mother, which is an ex arguably the hardest job in the world. So... <laughs> uh, I know a lot of our viewers are, you know, young doctors. They're, some of them are starting families, whatever. Do you have any advice for people considering specialties that maybe are like intense, like your own, and how you know how that works with having a family? Well, I had my baby when I was uh, R five, which was the last year of residency. Mm -hmm. And I delivered my baby, and uh, did you deliver then I had only. <laughs> No, of course. I, I, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Uh, I had my baby, and then uh, seven months later, I had, uh, I had to go to my part exam, my board exams. Uh, so I was breastfeeding, studying, not sleeping, breastfeeding every two hours at the beginning. I, I did not have a maternity leave because residents don't have maternity really? leave. By the way, nobody. Yes, we do not. We only have annual. So I had four weeks at home with my baby, then I had to go back to OBGYN, heavy, hectic workload. Wow. I used to do ER shifts and I had to leave my baby with my husband, who was only like one month old. My husband used to stay all night, every two hours, like feeding him, changing diapers. And then I come in early morning, I did not sleep from my eight hour shift, take my baby. I have to study for my board. I have to do this research and that. So it was so, it was was horrible <laughs> that year was horrible for yeah. me but just always remember that start a family start a family okay because medicine it's a never-ending like it's not like other other professions you will always study you will always read sometimes you'll go into more exams even if you finish like a, a certain board you want to be a fellow you want to take this fellow, you want to do this, you want to take this exam, you want to do that. If you want to start a family, if you feel like you are capable to do two things at once, do it. If you don't feel comfortable, you can delay it. But put something in your mind that don't let medicine stop you from doing other things. Because life is not just about work. Mm -hmm. now, you need family. Do you, do you think that, because I've, I've seen quite a few people give up on the specialties of their dream because they're like, I want to one day have a family. Do you think that's fair? You should do what you want to do. If you feel like you want to, uh, to give up medicine, to stay home with your children, if you think this will bring you happiness, you will do it. For me, OBGYN brings me happiness 
and being a mother brings me happiness. So I'm, I'm, I'm I have to do both. <laughs> I have to, I really, to do both. Really so and 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 you can never like be one hundred percent in each, but you try your best. And you need family support, husband, mother, mother-in-law, whatever. You just need people around you. You just need love, and you just need to. At the end, you're just gonna find a balance to just work through them all. Uh, and I think, regardless of career, you need that support. You need the. Yes. You need people around you to bring you up, regardless, especially if you're going to have a, a family. Especially in medicine. Especially in medicine, yeah. Uh, one thing I do love about medicine, kind of like, you feel a bond to the people you work with. You're all kind of like friends, family, together, because you have to work so intimately, you know? Like, not every career, yes. you have to be at 2 a.m. with your coworkers, just sitting around. Yeah, the hospital is your second home, by the absolutely. way. Absolutely, absolutely. I do believe my, my hospital is my second home. I have like my own pillow there. I have my bed sheets. I have my everything is there. So I do 50% here, 50% there. Exactly. Now, uh, the last thing I want to, before we uh, conclude this episode, the last thing I want to ask about is, you know that our audience is a lot of young doctors, medical students. From your perspective, as someone who's trying to educate the world of the Middle East about uh, uh uh, women's health. I don't know why the word women didn't pop in my head there, but women's health. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think for us, what should we, what would you like us to take uh, from, uh, you know, from your experience that w you want to see changing so that way we can implement it in our practice, in our future practice, you know? Um, so let's say maybe 70 to 80% of any household mm -hmm. are women. Sisters, mothers, daughters, um, most of our households are women and for us just being women uh, we do uh, struggle with uh, as simple as our monthly uh, periods mm. um, a lot of people don't understand how regular periods monthly periods do impact our mental health physiologically it's not something that we just like make it up or anything it does hormones does affect our serotonin levels or whatnot all of these things so um, uh, what I would like to say that um, we need to talk more about it. We need to focus more about uh, women's health. Um, we need to educate mm -hmm. and do awareness uh, about uh, a lot of topics as simple as periods. Uh, we need to talk about little girls who are just starting to get their periods. They need more education. They need more awareness. They need to understand what's going on. Uh, just for us to, because when you think about it, um, starting a period can impact your mental health. Yeah. You can end up with depression. You can end up with an anxiety yeah. if you don't work there, start uh, educating and making all young girls uh, feel that it's okay. We all are going through it. We all went through it. You do this, you do that. It's fine to talk about it. I remember when I was, when I had my period, I was so shy to tell my family that I had my period. Like it's just, it was like a taboo. Mm -hmm. Now it's not a taboo for me. I'm, I just talk freely about everything. It's normal. Mm -hmm. It's a normal physiologic experience that all women have. Yeah. It's not a taboo to talk about it. It's fine. Uh, back in the days, it was a taboo. It's not, it, and it wasn't long ago. I'm only 32. So like 20 or 25 years ago, it was a taboo. Yeah. Uh, so just let, let us talk about it more. Educate our little sisters, uh, our cousins, our whatever. Just Let's just talk about 
period health, contraception, pregnancy health, postpartum, it's really important for all women to um, feel comfortable uh, talking about these, expressing their concerns, and to know what to do uh, regarding certain uh, issues. So the takeaway that I get from this, keep talking about women's health. Don't be scared to say yes. the word period. It's fine. It's normal. Yes, yes. We're all in this together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, and I, I really, ho- I really want to take from this. I, I, I do hope that on the wards, I'm better with my female patients, and I'm less shy in saying, "When was your period?" You know. Uh, and I'll tell you something at the end, mm-hmm. just when you finish. Uh, no, go ahead. Go you ahead. can continue. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we managed. We 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 uh, we saw some a couple of patients. They used to say, "I don't want a female doctor." By the way, mm-hmm. I want a male doctor. There are a lot of patients, yeah, I didn't mention that. Like recently in my clinic, she was like, no, I don't want a female patient to, to deliver me. I want a male patient because mm-hmm. they, they are more compassionate with us. I was like, what? No, we, we, you know how you feel. I'm more compassionate than a male. She was like, no, I want a male patient. <laughs> okay. So for male, a message, don't feel shy talking about women, uh, talking to women, uh, taking history. It's, 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 it's normal for us. If you look uh, confused or you look shy, we will feel it and we would know that you're not comfortable talking about it. So talk about it more. With time, you'll be more comfortable. Well, Dictora, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, I, this has been inspiring for me. It's been educational for me. And I'm sure it's the same for our audience. So, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed thank it. Thank you so much. Now, that's the last sip of coffee for the day. Uh, again, a final special thank you to our guest. Um, and uh, please, if you like what you see, follow, subscribe. And please follow Dictora Lemma. Uh, if you want to know more about women's health, uh, she's, I, I can guarantee you she's taught me a lot. So please do follow her because you will learn a lot from her. So uh, till next time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Abdelaziz. Hope you all enjoyed this episode of The Doctor's Brew. New episodes to listen to with a cup of coffee coming your way every Sunday on YouTube and Spotify. And be sure to follow us on Instagram for all the latest updates. See you next time.